Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hi everyone, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. Today we're doing something a little different and sharing a really fascinating conversation between Thomas McConkie and Adam Miller, a popular author and professor of philosophy. It's taken from Thomas's online course, Transformations of Faith. As part of the course, Thomas and Adam recorded a series of conversations that take a deeper dive on several of the ideas and principles that Thomas teaches in the course, and each of the conversations is really enlightening in its own way. In this particular conversation, Thomas and Adam explore the idea of repentance and forgiveness in the context of spiritual growth and transformation, and it's a really different take than you might expect in a typical gospel doctrine discussion. We hope it provides a unique perspective on this subject that we spend quite a bit of time thinking about and talking about as Latter-day Saints. And of course, to hear all of the conversations or to learn more about this course, you can head to transformationsoffaith.org to sign up. Thanks as always for listening, and we hope that you enjoy this conversation. All right, this is our fourth conversation, Thomas, uh, directed at session three of your Transformations of Faith course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to connect the content uh, of this session to the more familiar Latter-day Saint topic of repentance. What do you make of the word repentance? What What does repentance mean? Uh so building off of all of the beautiful insight, wisdom, and revelation from our tradition, uh, from a contemplative perspective, I mentioned this in the course itself. Uh, I don't think it's always helpful to go back to the original language and the etymology of the original language. But in this case, I think it bears some fruit. Um, Metanoia in the Greek. Uh, And this can be interpreted different ways. But it goes well with our earlier conversations on the course in that one legitimate interpretation of metanoia is going beyond the small self. Meta is kind of a going beyond. Noia is literally mind. Uh, So if we're repenting, we are going beyond our normal assumptions, our uh, sometimes calcified and unhelpful beliefs, that actually end up keeping us distant from God. Uh, we go beyond into a space of kind of free fall or open vulnerability to God. Uh, in Thomas Keating's words, uh, when we repent, when we engage in metanoia, we're looking for happiness in a whole new place rather than manipulating the conditions of our lives, trying to get the temperature just right, trying to get the numbers in my bank account just right, trying to get my like kids to be just the right amount of compliant. We repent, we move to a greater sense of self where the love, compassion, forgiveness, virtue is beyond conditions. It's who we are already. And we pour ourselves into condition. That is maybe the more contemplative approach to repentance. And it's not unrelated at all to, you know, maybe more common versions of repentance that we talk about. Yeah. A more common version of repentance would be something like, 
I've done something specific wrong. And now as a result, I have to go through this kind of punitive process that we, that we describe as repentance and until I manage to get God to forgive me uh, as a result of the thing that I did. Uh, Clearly though, in the end, that would have to actually involve going beyond who and what I am. Uh, If I were to ever actually do that kind of smaller, narrower version of repentance, I would only ever actually succeed at it if I engaged in that much larger, more difficult project of, of this more fundamental transformation of who I am. Right. If, if we just obey the rules, we could start to idolatrize the, world, the rules themselves. We could do the right things, but never change in our heart. And the the continuum for me of let's say our you know more common definition of repentance and the more meta definition of repentance metanoia is that in the you know common practice of repentance, uh, what defines uh, a sinful act or how do we know when we've done something wrong? Well, from my perspective, it's been a lot of human wisdom and practice over the centuries of noticing like, hey, when you lie to somebody you're actually trying to manipulate conditions in a way that aggrandizes the natural man and actually diminishes your spiritual being, right? So the boundaries themselves of why do we repent when we repent? Well, they're actually, from my point of view, very skillful markers that tell us like in operation, when you're like trying to fish out that wishbone and like, you know, Mm -hmm. you hit the metal side and it beeps, the commandments are a little bit like, oh, you just lied to somebody, you just stole something. You just wished harm on somebody. That is a telltale sign that you are in the, the territory of the natural fallen man and that you're, you're trying to manipulate things to your own end and your own glory. So they're the same thing in the end. This is a different way of thinking about it that I you know, think can be helpful to deepen our insight and our, you know, our, our practice. In my experience, there's a, there's a kind of counterintuitive aspect to the way that repentance actually unfolds meaningfully, too, with respect to the way that if I'm bent on getting myself to be a certain kind of way or be a certain kind of thing or present to God a certain kind of perfection, uh, if I'm bent as a result then of rejecting a lot of, of who or what I am, that this in the end doesn't actually lead to the kind of transformation that would make me more acceptable to God or would connect me to God more deeply. Hmm. Say more about that. that in, in other words, what what is the kind of person you would present to God in your experience that leads to that experience? Well, it's tempting to think about Repentance, I think, is the process of, as a kind of surgical process in which I progressively excise from myself all the parts of me that are offensive. Uh, And then I'm successful at repenting then uh, to the degree that I've excised those bits that I I find offensive and that I assume that God finds offensive. Right. Right. But that in the end, changing my relationship to those parts in a way that, that saves them or redeems them doesn't involve getting rid of them. It involves instead uh, learning how to adopt the kind of 
compassionate, uh, the kind of compassionate uh, demeanor of forgiveness that God himself is uh, exemplifying for me in relationship to Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. It, I mean, one thing I hear, a subtlety in what you're saying, there's always this clear and present danger in spiritual life to, we want the goods, we want the big transformation, we want atonement, we want forgiveness, but like, please leave all of me intact as you do it. Like, please like mind my ego boundaries, mind my insecurities, you know, please don't tamper with the things that like are too painful to touch. And I, I hear you saying if, if we're really going to undergo the process, there's, there's a self-sacrifice involved. We're becoming a new creature, not perfecting the sinful self, but burying the sinful self. There, there's something like that in what I, going on and what I hear you saying. Yeah. On the, on the one hand, there's the, uh, uh, there's the sentiment exemplified by St. Augustine's famous prayer, right? Lord, make me continent, but not yet. <laughs> right? Lord, free me from my lustful desires, but not yet, right? There's that desire to, <laughs> to be saved without undergoing the transformation. But on the flip side, there's also that kind of, there's that very dangerous desire to, to, to want to be done with all of what I am altogether, to be done with all that, to be free, to be free from it, to be free from, uh, all of the, all of the little finite, annoying imperfections that constantly crop up uh, and displease me about myself, and to want God to, to to strip me of all of them instead of wanting Him, instead of my wanting Him to leave those alone. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of our conversation recently about atonement. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, when we're repenting, we're actually atoning with uh, our humanity and acknowledging that there is a limited, finite aspect to ourselves that we don't have the wherewithal to lift up and redeem ourselves. Um, I'm not sure if you are hearing that connection as well, but it, it feels present for me And you know, when we talk about this aspect of repentance. Yes. Yes. Um. Session three has a lot to do with with uh, the heart. Um, yeah, is repentance something like the daily, ongoing work of restoring feeling to the heart? <clears throat> One thing, as a practical matter, that I've found over the years of like really intentionally cultivating heart awareness is that when I'm up in my head and I'm kind of staring vigilantly out at the world distrustfully, I'm turning thoughts over, thinking about it, trying to know the world and understand it, it really enhances my sense of separation and alienation from the world. When I'm really resting in the heart at the level of awareness and I'm knowing self, world, and other through the heart, uh, a whole different kind of world presents itself to me. Um, it's one with much softer boundaries, um, if there are any boundaries at all in a given moment. And therefore, I would say that, yes, absolutely, to learn to live in the heart and from the heart is a powerful 
path that I think is especially potent in its own way in the Christian tradition as Christ has exemplified, you know, the sacred heart. Uh, it helps us go beyond the small self. Yeah, I don't know if we can really progress in our practice of repentance at a certain point and not give up these very rigid boundaries of like, there's me, there's you, there's the world, this person's friendly, this person's not friendly. To me, a, a, a deeply heart-based practice takes us in the direction of loving our neighbor as our very own being. So they, they all feel interrelated in my heart at the moment. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is repentance is something like a positive way of life rather than an occasionally an occasionally negative thing that I have to do in response to my own failures. This is a, repentance as a kind of proactive, positive cultivation of this open heart that allows me to continually go beyond the limits of my own, my, my, my own mind, my own soul. Yeah. feels like you really nailed it there. Um, if, if I have an association with what repentance is from my cultural upbringing, it's that that repentance is like, oh, no, I got to go in to see the bishop because I did something grave enough that would necessitate that visit. Not always, but, you know, as a caricature, it's something like that. And the way you just framed it as it's something like I'm repenting in this moment because, of course, just a moment ago, I identified with my small self again and I felt separate from others and I failed to be as loving as I could. I felt separate from God. I take a breath. I relax. I drop into my heart. And I realize that the love in, the same love in my heart is God's love that sheds itself abroad in the hearts of all mankind. And boom, I'm back in the game. I just repented. But in a very, it's a repentance positive practice, we right, could yeah. say. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I feel joy to hear you christen that, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect that discovering what a Christian life looks like depends a lot on on discovering the fact that repentance is a practice of joy. That this is something that you want to take up all day long, every day, as a way of engaging the world, rather than something that you want to avoid at all costs as a last resort in light of your own imperfection. Yes, yes, yes. Because w when we do relate to repentance as like, you know, a last line of defense, it, it kind of reifies, it solidifies that worldview that as long as I act in a certain way and stay within these boundaries, I'm good. And it, it's related to another conversation we had about magical mm -hmm. thinking and that if, if there's a danger about anything on the spiritual path, it's the danger of getting fixed and getting stuck and supposing that we've arrived. And I hear you expressing in quite a new way, at least to my ears, that like repentance is another way. We, we fixate, we, we define that process as this thing. And I hear you kind of opening up an invitation to just live in repentance all the time. It feels, you know, very good to me. Yeah. And in, in this same vein, I always wonder if it wouldn't do us a lot of good to, instead of talking about Jesus as the person who never had to repent, if we talked about Jesus as the person who was more spectacularly and perfectly successful at continually repenting than any of us. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. The, the, the man who only, he repented. only repented. He, <laughs> he was so good at it. That's all he that's ever did. That's the only thing that he does. Uh, he only preaches <laughs> repentance. He only does repentance. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is the gospel. That is good news if I've heard it. <laughs> yeah. Now, hopefully people won't misunderstand what we, what we meant by that. Take yeah. it as, as blasphemous, but, um, You describe the ego's stories and labels as a kind of straitjacket, right? In which we get stuck. This is the very straitjacket that we have to, the small self that we have to go beyond in order to reconnect and be at one with ourselves and the world around us. But those stories and labels are in lots of ways uh, a straitjacket that we put on ourselves. We cinch ourselves up inside those straight jackets. Uh, why do you think we do that? Yeah. This question comes up a lot in transformative practice, whether we're talking in the context of Christianity or just our humanity. Let me see if I can make a few orienting comments about it. Um, as I look at it, as we develop as human beings, it's very functional to learn to make distinctions one of the first distinctions we make as a human being around the age of 18 months old, we learn to put up a boundary and say no, because we're just starting to form a sense of like a unique, beautiful self, a child of God. We realize we have agency, we have autonomy, we can say yes to some things and no to others. And from there, you know, the linguistic world, the intellectual world only becomes more complex. We go from no to, you know, having rarefied conversations about what atonement means. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all good news. You know, distinctions used provisionally can be empowering. By distinctions, I mean ideas, thoughts, language. We, we use language to say it's this, not that. Language tells us, points to us what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. And if that's all we ever have, it can become a prison. Uh, we want the self to not be a prison, but a home to come home to. If I don't have the option of leaving my hardened ideas, my prejudices, my assumptions, I think we could legitimately describe that as a kind of hell realm. But if I realize that these distinctions are, are here when I need them, like I'm trying to make distinctions right now to respond to a question in the hopes that the distinctions lead us to a place beyond distinctions. And on a good day when I do my job and I know right when to shut up, the distinctions take us into a place that's one of, we could say, pure faith. I don't need to name it. I don't even need to understand it. I just know it. And so my sense is that will develop into healthy distinctions and hopefully learn how to let go of distinctions when appropriate and be able to do both distinctions and no distinctions, mind, heart, hold those both in a, you know, deeper embrace. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to get, it's easy to get locked inside of a cell of our own making. It's easy to end up locked inside of a cell 
holding the key and not being able to get out because in some ways we've, we've locked ourselves inside those prison cells. There's something, there's something comforting and protective about our own, about our own captivity that we hang on to, that we cling to. That's also really risky and dangerous. Right. Right. Yes. I was watching Better Call Saul Mm -hmm. last night with my wife. What a great show. What a great show. Yeah. Do you watch it? I love it. Oh, it's the drama, the pacing. I noticed this was a particularly tense episode. And it was like one of the hundreds of times a day I catch myself where like the music was just like crescendoing. And one of the cartel members had a gun and one of your favorite people might die. And everything in my body was just like, what's going to happen? And, it, you know, as I got to a point of tension, I realized like, oh, I'm so tense. I can just, I can just relax. And when I relax, when I drop back into my heart, it's like the the fascination with the drama just totally flatlines and I'm all's well and all shall be well. And then five seconds later, I'm like, no, but the music is so good, you know, and that's an example for me of my own straitjacket. Like I notice a thousand times a day where I'm much more comfortable tightening up, being in my head and being defended against just the free flow of God. We all have straitjackets, and I, I thought it might be good radio if I volunteered my own straitjacket as an example. <laughs> that was a great example. <laughs> uh, to bring us back around then, this is, I mean, repentance in lots of ways hinges on my willingness to unlock my own cell and step outside of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it depends on my willingness to, to not just stay safe in there uh, even though that safety is itself an illusion absolutely I want to add again I've really had the privilege of working with um, a lot of students over the last 10 years many of them Latter-day Saints you know because of the work I do in this community and what I've noticed when people drop into deep states of concentration when people are deep in contemplation, a very common report is that there's a kind of threshold where right as the sense of self, in other words, like the the set of ideas and experiences and likes and dislikes that I've kind of solidified into, this is who I am. When that starts to relax and we start to get bigger, one of the most common experiences I hear reported back to me is one of total fear, even terror. And I think it's really important to just hold that in our conversation that as you and I are talking about like the straitjacket and opening up and metanoia going beyond, you know, the small self, uh, there's a reason we stay in the cell. Like just at the level of the body, there's something in our body that says it's not okay to be that open. It's not okay to trust the world and trust God so fully that I totally let my guard down. We have physiological programming and experience that says, don't let your guard all the way down. Don't give God both eyes. And it's, it's, a, it's a skill. It's a spiritual quality that we need to learn to cultivate. It's not given 
or it's given as a grace, but we have to do our work at it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that it's the nail on the head. If I am, if I'm not very good at repenting, it's because I'm afraid to repent. There's a kind of fear at the heart of my failure to repent. Uh, and learning how to repent turns in the end on learning how to deal with the fear that's that's preventing me from doing it. Indeed. Yeah, beautifully said. All right, well done, Thomas. Thanks, Adam. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope that you've enjoyed this conversation between Thomas McConkie and Adam Miller as much as we did. Again, if you're interested in hearing more of these conversations or finding out more about Thomas's online course, Transformations of Faith, just head to transformationsoffaith.org. If the type of content we're producing at Faith Matters has been meaningful to you in any way, we'd love for you to leave a rating review. It really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters, and we really appreciate the encouragement. Thanks again for listening, and as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.